But no, I like to start off every time I ever get up here and just thank our, our very own Pastor Tim uh, just for this opportunity to be able to come up here. He, he's an awesome pastor, guys. We can, we can give him a round of applause for that. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I don't take this lightly up here. I want you guys to know this. This is an honor for me to be able to come up here and share the Word of God with you and what God has put on my heart. So I'm excited to kind of get into this today with you guys. Uh, we're going to be doing the last of our series, Dear John. I think this is week, uh, I don't know, seven or something like that. But this is it. We're, we're, we're done with the, the book of First John after today. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to get right into it because it's been a while since I've, I've spoken to you guys. So uh, God has given me a lot for today. So we might want to get going, you know. Uh, so uh, we're going to be in 1 John, the last chapter, chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13 and go through uh, verse 21. Um, and if you have your phone with you, which I know you all have your phone with you, okay? So waterschurch.guide. Get on that, that guide, waterschurch.guide, and you can follow, follow right along with me, write down the notes. Um, I think Pastor Tim every week says it'll help you get a bigger mansion in heaven. I don't see that as biblical, but it does sound good. No, I'm sure. Um, but I do want you to follow along with me if you could. First um, John chapter 5, verse 13. Can you guys all stand while we read God's word? Awesome. And if you're wondering, um, I'm reading out of the uh, NIV translation, okay? So if you're reading out of ESV and you're wondering why a couple words are a little different, that's why. It's not that I'm, you know, saying it wrong. And I, I always tell people all the time that um, when people ask me, what translation is the best translation? Okay, this is my answer all the time. Whatever translation you will actually pick up and read, that's the best translation, as long as it's the Holy Bible, right? Okay. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 13. And I want you guys to, to look and see as we read through this passage if there's any words that seem to come up over and over again. Because usually that's that's a, uh, that's a, a sign that, that God wants us to pay attention to something. So starting in verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, before I go any further, I, I, I love that, how John, John does this every time, okay? He, he, he knows how to write a whole book and then he'll summarize up in one sentence why he wrote what he wrote. You know, there's never any guessing of why John, the author, writes these things, right? He, he, uh, John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, also wrote the Gospel of John. And when he wrote the Gospel of John in the last chapter, he says, I write these things so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, right? He's writing them to non-believers, telling them, I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And now John is writing this letter to the first century church, and he's saying, hey, I'm writing to you believers to, for you to know that you have eternal life in Christ. He lays it right out there. I love it. But let's, let's keep going. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer, to those, I, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe. 
and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then John just puts on the end to make sure that you get this. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. This is God's word. Let's uh, bow our heads and just pray over this this morning. Father, I just pray that you just, that you calm my spirit, Lord. Give me the words, Lord. Put on my heart and in my mind exactly what you want to speak to your children today, Lord. Whatever's on my mind that's not of you, that's not from you, Lord, I just pray that you just take it out of me right now, Lord, and just speak your word to your people today, Lord. I pray that you open up every individual heart in this room to receive exactly what you want to speak individually to each person in here. We give you all the glory, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated, and I'm going to take a drink while you have a seat. All right. So I titled this message today, Taking Back Your Confidence. I thought I was going to get more of a reaction than that. Okay, I'll say it again. <clears throat> Sometimes when you say it really slow, people get excited about taking back your confidence. Right? Yeah. Seven different times. Remember I told you guys that to see what word kept coming up in that passage. Seven different times John uses the words, we know, right? We know. And this isn't a we know as in, come on, guys, we should know this by now. Do I have to go over this again? Come on, we should know. No, no, no. This is a we know that, that comes from confidence. This is a we know where John is saying, listen, these are truths that we can stand firm on. Like, we have assurance in this. We know this. We know we are children of God. We know him who is true, uh, John says. We know we have eternal life, Right? These we knows are a confident we know. Matter of fact, John even uses the word confidence in verse 14. And, and I looked up that word. I looked up the word in the original Greek that it was written in to see what it meant. And it, it, the word confidence in the original Greek that we see here in verse 14 is, is called parousia. Okay? And, and what it means is, is cheerful courage, the absence of fear, boldness. Is there anyone in here that could use a little parousia in your life right now? Anyone in here that could use a little cheerful courage right now? Use a little boldness? Some absence of fear? I know I could. I know I can. 2020 has been one of the longest years of my life. We're not even over with it yet. It's been one of the longest years, guys. I mean, every day from morning when I wake up until evening when we go to bed, let's be honest, we're living in uncertain times. Like, we don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. Like, are we going to wake up and hear that the, that the pandemic has spiked and there's this many more people in the hospital and the death rate has gone through the roof? Or, you know, or, or are we going to wake up to find out that 
that there's more riots, except this time the riots are in our city and things are burning down and things are, are unstable in the city that we're in right now? Or, you know, or am I going to wake up tomorrow or in a month from now and, and find out that I don't have a job anymore? I mean, we, we don't even know. We're uncertain about the future a month or two from now. Right? Are, are my kids going to go back to school? Are they actually going to learn? You're probably thinking, like, you know, uh, you know, is it safe for them to go back? You know, is the stimulus check going to get here? Or are they going to cancel the stimulus check? Or even if the stimulus check does come, is it going to be enough money for me to feed my family? So much uncertainty is going through our heads right now. Like, we don't know where or what we can have confidence in. And that is why I believe that John wants to show us today what we can be confident in. And when I say taking back our confidence, I do not mean taking back your confidence in yourself. Don't get it twisted, okay? If there's anything good that 2020 has shown us, it's that you cannot be confident in yourself. You have no control over anything. We don't. You don't even have control if you can get toilet paper or not sometimes. And I have to say that because it still makes me laugh to this day. A pandemic breaks out, and the first thing people go for is toilet paper. And maybe it's just that I'm from Maine, and we just learned that we could wipe with anything. That's not really the, the you know, that's not really the first on our list when a pandemic wakes up. Got to get the toilet paper, you know. But, but no, to get back to this. No, no, that's not the confidence I'm talking about. I'm talking about the confidence that John is talking about. A confidence that only comes in the one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the confidence I'm talking about. And I believe that John wants to show us people that are children of God, people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. John wants to show us what things we can have confidence about. And that's what I want to talk to you guys today. And the first one is in verse 14 and 15. John says this in that passage that we just read. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Like, I'm not just talking about a person hearing you. I'm talking about the creator of the universe hears us. And then John takes it a step further. Not only does he hear us, but he says in verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. So here, here's your first point. I want you to put this down. We can have confidence that our prayers are heard and answered. I don't know about you guys, but that's something that gets me excited. That's something that I want confidence in, that I have a God that hears me no matter what. That no matter if I'm in the, in the farthest depths of the ocean or the highest mountain or, or whether the governments fall or governments raise up, that I have a God that hears my prayers, that hears my requests and not only listens to me, but answers me personally. Like, man, I, I sometimes can't even get that from family. Sometimes I feel unheard by, by my closest friends. There's times where I go through crisis and situations where I feel like I can't talk to anybody about it. I feel like no one can relate to me, but I can have confidence that my God speaks to me. I can have confidence that he hears me, and not only will he hear me, but he'll answer. But John, John gives us a qualifier to this. John gives us a qualifier. I don't know if you saw it in verse 14, but he says... This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay. 
So we can have confidence that God hears us and he answers our prayers if we pray according to his will. So the question is, if we want to have confidence that no matter what is going on in our life, no matter what situation happens all around us, no matter if the whole world falls apart, if we want confidence that God hears us and answers our prayers, then the question is, is we need to understand and know how to pray according to his will. So I'm going to go over that with you right now. Because the Bible, the Bible lays it right out for us. And here's the first way that we can pray according to God's will, right here. Pray with faith. Pray with faith. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus himself says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. What Jesus is saying is, is when you pray, you need to pray believing that you are speaking to a holy and righteous God. Like you are not just throwing words up into the atmosphere. We're not, praying with faith doesn't mean that you just pray because it's a tradition that you grew up with in your family and when things get tough, you're supposed to just say some words and you don't really believe that it's gonna work, but you do it anyway. That's not praying with faith. And praying with faith is not thinking, well, this is a small request and and God's got a lot on his plate right now with everything that's going on in the world and I don't know if he's even gonna really listen to me, but I'll speak it anyway because I'm a Christian and I should pray. And, and, And so you pray anyway, not believing that God's really gonna do anything. No, no, that's not praying with faith. No, praying with faith is believing that you are speaking to a powerful God that with one word could split the oceans, that that is our great physician that's greater than any health crisis that could be going on, and you know that you can get on your knees and speak to him, and that at the end of the day, he will work this out for his glory. That's praying with faith. I believe it. I know who I'm speaking to. Praying with faith. The second way that we pray according to God's will is this. We need to pray in the name of Jesus. John 14, 14 says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. This is Jesus speaking again. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The Bible refers to Jesus as our intercessor. Jesus sits at the right hand seat of the Father and intercedes for us. And the only reason why we can come into the presence of a holy God and make our requests known is because Jesus sacrificed his life on a cross and shed his blood to wash over all of our sins, our guilt, and our shame. So now I can stand righteously in front of a perfect God because of his shed blood. So when we pray, guys, we gotta pray in the name of Uh, in the name above all names, the only name, Jesus. That's praying according to God's will. The third thing is this. We need to abide in Christ. John 15, seven says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Tim gave this uh, amazing message a few weeks ago where he talked about what it means to abide in Christ, right? Abide means to stay, to remain. So what, what, what he's saying here is, is that you need to remain in Christ always, not just when it's convenient for you, 
Not just when everything's going your way and, and, and it seems like God's blessing you and okay, I'll abide in Christ now or I got a lot of time on my hands, now I'll read the Bible for, for a little bit. No, no, abiding in Christ is remaining in him even when it gets hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it may cost you everything, you still say, I don't care, I am gonna stay, I'm gonna remain with you, Lord. My faith and trust is in you, Father, and I am never going to move no matter what. I'm remaining in Christ. I'm going to obey him to the end, even if it's not popular. That's what it means to abide in Christ. And that's, that's how we pray according to God's will. And here's the, here's the fourth way that we, pray, that we pray according to God's will. And this is probably the hardest one, okay? Get ready. Forgive those who have offended you. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Whew. We live in a culture today that is so quick to chastise and blame everyone else but so slow to forgive. We live in a culture today that, that has no problem speaking about all the wrongs that other people have done to us, but never speaks about forgiveness. And as Christians, guys, we have to be people that forgive. This isn't, this isn't optional. This is, this is a commandment. We are called to forgive. Jesus says, we need to forgive everyone else. And, and, and listen to me carefully here. When I say forgive, I'm not talking about denying. Okay, I don't want you guys to think that when I say forgiving, that means I have to deny that this ever happened to me. No. Okay? Your boss has treated you wrong your whole life. Maybe has played favoritism with other people and for some reason has something against you and has treated you wrong and overlooked you for every, every raise or every promotion. You don't have to deny that that's happened to you, but you do have to forgive them. You do have to love them anyway. Maybe you've had friends in your life or people close to you that have humiliated you or torn you down or made you feel so hurt or so worthless. And, 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 and I'm not telling you you have to deny that that ever happened to you. No, but you do have to forgive them as a Christian. You do have to say, you know what? Yeah, you've treated me poorly my whole life. You've been against me my whole life, but I love you and I will still lay down my life for you. Amen. That's what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you have parents that neglected you your whole life, made you feel empty and worthless, and, and because of it, you have grown up and, and, and adopted some unhealthy eating habits, and it'd be easy for you to say, it's your fault that I'm like this. It's your fault you should treat me different. No, as Christians, we don't have to deny it, but you have to say, Mom, Dad, I love you, and I forgive you. We have to be people that are willing to forgive. I don't care if it's something that happened to you 20, 30 years ago. I don't care how horrendous the act was that somebody did against you. Man, if you're a Christian, then you need to realize that, that you are forgiven by a holy and perfect God, which we do not deserve. But because of Jesus Christ, we got grace put on our life. And if, if he can forgive us through Jesus' sacrifices, then the least that we can do is forgive others. As Christians, we need to forgive 
And I just say this to tell you guys that the Bible is really, really specific about this. Like if you hold resentment in your heart for any, towards anybody, I don't care how wrong they were against you. If you hold resentment and unforgiveness in your heart, God doesn't hear your prayers. I know that's tough. And not only does God not hear your prayers, but it says that he doesn't forgive you until you forgive them. And I know that's hard to hear. But you can't get mad at me. I'm just reading scripture. If anything, get mad at John or the Holy Spirit inspired him. Get mad at the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. These aren't my opinions. So we need to be people that forgive those who have offended us. That's how we pray according to God's will. Here's the fourth thing. I'm sorry, fifth thing. We've gone through four already. Here's the fifth and last thing. Prayer cannot be about your own passions. James 4.3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This goes back to that old adage we've probably heard in church before, but it's such a true one, right? God is not our cosmic Santa Claus. Like he's not there to, to, to give you your wish list. Prayer is not about God, let me tell you all the things I want that will improve my life. Let, let, please do this for me so my life will be better and everything will be happier and I'll have a bigger house and I'll have everything I want. No, that is not what prayer is about. We are not the center of the universe, none of us. He is. Prayer is about sending our requests to him so that when God answers our prayers, it gives him the glory. It's not about us. It's not about us getting anything. Prayer is about him. So we can have confidence, guys, that we have a God no matter what happens in this world. We have a God that hears us and answers us if we pray according to his will. We can walk away with that confidence every day. Well, let's move on to something else that... that John tells us we can have confidence about. It's in uh, later on in the passage in uh, verse 18. It says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Okay. Now some of you might be thinking to yourself, all right, there it is. I love God. God is going to protect me. He's going to put angels around me and nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. I can take my shirt off and run down the street and not wear a mask and drink water bottles after everybody else and I'm going to be good. I'm going to be protected. No. No. That is not what John's talking about at all. I think sometimes as Christians, sometimes we, we have this false uh, belief that if we love God, then he's going to protect us physically, right? Or if something bad happens to us physically, then maybe we did something wrong against God or, or maybe he doesn't, maybe we haven't loved him enough. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And John is not talking about physical protection here. He's not saying, oh, because you're a Christian, you're good. You're never going to get COVID. You're never going to get sick. You're all good. It's not what he's saying at all. Matter of fact, I, I know it's not what he's saying because the Bible doesn't con contradict itself. And back in March or April, 
because I had a lot of time on my hands during the beginning of quarantine. Like, I had a lot, okay? And I, I, I asked the Lord, I said, <clears throat> I said, what, what do you want me to study? What, what do you want me to read, Lord? Because I, I, I got a lot of time and you see it. What, what do you want me to read? And God answered me. He said, the whole Bible. No, he didn't say that. Thank goodness he didn't say that. Uh, but he did say, he did put on my heart to read Job, the book of Job. And I know for some of you guys that might sound really weird. And, and it is a little weird because I even had a friend tell me, man, that's a little depressing. We're going through a pandemic. You're going to read Job? Okay. Um, but, but, it was, but there was a reason why God wanted me to read it. Because what I realized was, and what God showed me was, was here is a man named Job, if you don't know the story, who God himself refers to as the most righteous man to walk the face of the earth at that moment, was Job. He loved God. But even though he loved God, it didn't guarantee him physical protection. Matter of fact, Job probably had the worst atrocities in history happen to him. All of his children were killed. His livestock and livelihood was taken away from him and gone. His own wife and his friends turned their backs on him. And Job ends up coming down with a sickness and boils and everything else. I mean, it's the worst things you could think of happened to Job. But through everything and through that whole situation that happened to Job, we see this amazing picture of humility, of how God teaches Job all these amazing things, and how God reveals himself to Job in such a powerful way that Job has never seen the Lord before. And, and through it, Job ends up having a more intimate relationship with the Lord. And, and even in the end, we see God bless Job, and Job ends up having double the children and everything else. It's amazing. Um, but my point of, the, of, of Job's story is, is that it shows us that, that John is not talking about a physical protection. God doesn't guarantee us as Christians that we are completely physically protected. Sorry, he doesn't. No, what John is talking about here is about a protection against permanent spiritual loss. That's what he's saying. And this is the second point, so I want you to write this down if you could. He said, the second point is we can have confidence that we are spiritually protected. John is saying that God has protected you and the enemy can't harm you. What he's saying is, is if your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then your soul is signed and sealed and your home is in eternity forever and there's nothing that Satan can do to change that. It means that no matter what is going on in this world, that God has you in the palm of his hand and nothing is going to pluck you out of that. Again, your soul is with him. It's in Christ. And there's nothing this world or Satan can throw at you that's going to change any of that. You are protected spiritually. And I'll be honest with you guys. That is way, way better than a physical protection. It really is. I mean, because let's be honest. This life is like a vapor, right? We live, what, 70 years, maybe 80, maybe 90 if we're lucky. But eternity, that's forever. That's forever. You know, and, and, and I got I to gotta confess to you guys, at the beginning of this pandemic, the first few weeks of this happened, man, I was scared. I had fear in my heart. Those first few weeks, man, I was nervous. I mean, they, they were telling us that there was going to be millions of people dropping dead around me everywhere. I was listening to it. I was getting nervous. I was scared. 
But God had to reveal something to my heart. God had to convict me and show me the reason why I was so fearful. The reason why I was, I was living with so much fear at the beginning and what God revealed to me was that I was making this life and this earth and the American dream that I had with my home and everything, I was making all this my home. I was clinging to this life like this is it. This is my home. This is everything I'm working for. And what God had to reveal to me was this is not my home. Christians, this is not our home. Our home is in eternity. We have been called to be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. And, and the reason why I was so fearful was because I was clinging on to everything in this life and there was a risk that I might lose it all. I might lose my health. I might lose everything. And so God had to refocus my mind and say, no, no, no. As a Christian, as a follower of me, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. Our home is in eternity. So when we can have confidence that we are spiritually protected and we are heavenly focused like that, we can live boldly. We can live without fear. Because we know, yeah, you know what? My body might deteriorate. My body might be gone. Everything I have in life, it may be taken from me. But let me tell you something. My soul is going to heaven for eternity with the Lord. And I'm going to be with him, with Christ, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's nothing that Satan or this world can do to take that away from me. So I can live in confidence of where I'm going. I can live with confidence. Here's the third thing that we can have confidence about. We can have confidence that we are free people. Not three, free, free. We can have confidence that we are free people. First John 5, 19, it says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's an awesome verse. Because what it tells us is as children of God, we are not under the control of Satan. We're not. We've been freed by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did on the cross. He freed us. And I don't know about you, but I take confidence in that because I don't like being controlled. I don't like my government controlling me. I don't like my job and my career controlling me. And teenagers, if you're in the room right now, I know you don't like your parents controlling you. We don't like to be controlled. Well, the beautiful news is, is we are free from Satan's control. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, then, then, then death, hell, and the grave was defeated when he rose from the dead, and that, the shackles have been broken, and you are now free from all of that. Matter of fact, Paul says, you were once a slave to sin, but now you are a slave to righteousness. You know what that means? That means you were once a slave under the control of your own sinful nature, but now you have been freed from that in the name of Jesus. You're no longer under his control, under the evil one's power. And that is such an awesome thing to have confidence about, that I am free in Christ. But with that, John's also showing us something else. With having that confidence as a Christian to know that you are a free person, what John is showing us here, since the rest of the world is under the control of the enemy, John is telling us our battle is not against people. I'm going to say that again. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And if there's nothing else that you get from this message that I've given today, 
I'm just asking that you guys hear this and hear this really, really clearly. Because we are about two months away from going into probably the most divisive election this country has ever seen. And you need to realize our battle is not against liberals and Democrats. It's not against Republicans. It's not against people of different ethnicities or that look different than us. No, 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 no. Our battle is against the spiritual realm and the principalities and demons that are in it. People are under the control of the enemy. And our responsibility as people, as free people in Christ is to spread the gospel to the world. We, we are called to love our neighbors. We are called to sacrifice and lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We're not going to war against any people. We're against the principalities in the spiritual realm. So yes, we can have confidence that we are free people, but we have a responsibility as a free person in Christ to bring the gospel to others in this world so that they can be freed by the blood of Jesus. This is my last point. <clears throat> Number four, we can have confidence in our eternal salvation. We can have confidence in our eternal salvation. Verse 20, in that same passage we read, it says, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. Verse 13 says, I write these things as at the beginning that we read. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can have confidence. We can have confidence in our eternal salvation. But John says, if you know him who is true. Do you know him who is true? And, I, and I'm not talking about that you've heard of Jesus or that you've came to church your whole life or that you were brought up in a Christian home and you've heard it a million times. No, I'm saying, do you actually know him who is true? Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Job, who we talked about before, Job, right? At the end of that, at the end of that whole story, Job's words, probably one of the most beautiful verses I've ever read. Job says, my whole life my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes see you, and I repent in my dust and ashes. Job's saying, man, I, I've, God, I've heard of you my whole life. I've heard the stories. I've listened about you. I've heard your name. I've heard your name. But now I've actually experienced you. Now I've actually encountered you. And I've seen you. And I realize who you are and who I am. Do we know him? We can't have confidence in our eternal salvation just by hearing about him. You have to actually have a personal relationship with him, John says. You have to know him. Do you know him? If we do, we can be confident no matter what happens in this world that we are going to heaven for eternity with him. Can everybody stay on me for a second? <clears throat> As I close.
Some of you guys may know this, maybe many of you don't, but back in May, yeah, I think it was May. Back in May, we lost, we lost probably the most, one of the most influential apologists and evangelists probably in this entire century. One of the most. His name was Ravi Zacharias. He, uh, he impacted my life in so many ways. From when I gave my life to Christ to through on, I listened to so many of his messages. He, he was in the, um, he did a lot of the crusades with Billy Graham. He traveled around to colleges and he was an intellectual and, and he, he affected millions of people for the gospel. Just a mighty man of faith. And, and I remember I watched his funeral back in May when he passed. And there was this beautiful uh, story that, that I heard while I was watching it because if you didn't know, Ravi Zacharias had a heart for the people at Angola Prison. Now, if you don't know, Angola Prison is located in Louisiana. It's the largest maximum security prison in the United States. The most vicious and heinous crimes have been done by the people that are in Angola Prison. And Ravi Zacharias had a heart for these people. He wanted to reach them for the gospel. And so when word got out that Ravi Zacharias' health was was deteriorating fast and the cancer was starting to take over, they sent word to Angola Prison to the, uh, to the carpentry department there and they asked the, the, the prisoners if, if they would build the coffin for Ravi Zacharias. And obviously the prisoners were honored to do it. And they got it done really quickly. They did an amazing job. And <clears throat> when the person that had arranged the building went to the prison to pick up the coffin, she... she spoke to one of the prisoners and she said, you probably don't know who you built this for. It was for a man named Ravi Zacharias. And the prisoner immediately interrupted her and said, oh yes ma'am, yes Miss Natalie, I know exactly who this was for. This is for Mr. Ravi Zacharias. I have heard him on the radio for years and every time he's came here to speak with us. That is why, he said, that is why I laid my hands on this coffin and prayed for your safe travels as you bring it to his family. The prisoner went on to say, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about what Angola prison is known for, he said. Hands that have taken life. It is by God's true grace, he said, that he has allowed my same hands to build a coffin that will carry a godly man like Ravi into eternal life. He said, that, Miss Natalie, is redemption. I tell you that so that you know if a man that has a past like that can be that confident in, in his eternal salvation and can experience redemption through Christ Jesus, then there is nothing that you have ever done that could keep you from having that same thing. It's never too late. 
I want to give you an opportunity right now, anyone in this room that's hearing my voice or online, if you don't know him, if you don't know Jesus personally, and I don't care if you've came to church your whole life, if you don't know him, know him today. This world is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't. We could wake up and things could be way different. 